Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. I'm Lisa Fisher, a longtime broadcaster and journalist and now a health coach based in Arkansas who's been in front of a microphone or a camera since the 1980s. I think of myself as the queen of Arkansas media. I started this podcast in 2020 to help you live a better life. I especially think this episode is eye-opening for anyone wondering if it's time to give up alcohol. Jane Ballard is a licensed therapist in Dallas, and we discuss terms like anxiety and sober curious. For moms, she said, we drink because motherhood is hard. You'll get to meet her right after this. I love it when people do what I say. That's the name of my podcast, Lisa Fisher Said. Why'd you do it? Because Lisa Fisher Said. Well, that's what people say now when they go to Akel's Carpet One. Akel's Carpet One has three locations in central Arkansas. Now, the Akel family's been in the flooring business a long time. They are under different names in different states, so you may be shopping with them where you are. But I'm putting my focus on the folks here because Richard Akel, you might see him at one of the stores. You might see Erica. Courtney might be at the store in Florida. Yeah, these people know what they're doing when it comes to flooring. And I know that because I'm thinking of two people right now who just built brand new homes, used Akel's Carpet One for everything. Such satisfied clients, customers. They will definitely be back. Uh, my producer, Darren Clanton, used Akel's for all the beautiful flooring. He said nobody could beat the price that they have. They uh, provide the insulation service after the sale. Even the tile in his home is from Akel's Carpet One. And another family there in North Arkansas, it's a long way, but Erica Akel went there and spent time with them, walked through the property, and all of their flooring just came from Akel's Carpet One. You need to do the same thing. You will be a satisfied customer for life, and you'll probably start a podcast so you can tell people about it. Akelscarpetone.com. I love the messaging behind dogtalktv.com. You've heard me talk some time about what Pat Becker Wallace has done. She's an Arkansan who lived in Oklahoma a long time. So a majority of her life and her charitable work, and there's a lot of it, people, has been devoted to providing forever homes for uh, these dogs and helping the rescues. Now, the shelters often get city and county money, but the rescues do not. So therefore, she has devoted much of her life's work and writing books that match the perfect person with the perfect breed, meaning your temperament. It works better with certain dog breed temperaments and then educating. That's really what she wants to do. Educate people on dog ownership and responsible dog ownership. So if you go to dogtalktv.com, you can order some of the books. I have them here. I gave some to a charity. I'm getting more to give to my daughter, granddaughter's school. Haven't done that yet. I've been busy. But when I do that, I know that the kids there can check out a book and learn more about dog breeds. In fact, if you have a child who's interested in writing children's books, they have a competition where you can find out more and it's all in their website. They have a children's book contest tab at dogtalktv.com. Know that you are helping the rescues and in both Arkansas and Oklahoma when you go there, dogtalktv.com. She won most talkative in high school, and she has been running her mouth ever since. Welcome to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast with your host, Lisa Fisher. 
All right, we're taking a little different approach to um, sobriety with this episode. Jane, you kind of walked the path and you're going to introduce some new terms to us because I think we all know the AA paradigm of sobriety being powerless over alcohol, but there's this new kind of, I think it's new, not probably to you, sober curious movement. Kind of explain that to me. Yeah, so I think with sober curious, it's not about having to label something or define something. I love AA. It's been around for 88 years. I think it's yeah. been a gift to so many people. Mm-hmm. The problem is this dichotomy of either you're in this one category that is a normal drinker or you're in this other category where you're powerless over alcohol. You've hit a rock bottom and decided to abstain from alcohol and change your life moving forward. And the problem is most of us fall somewhere in the middle of someone who has two drinks a year or doesn't drink at all, or somebody who has hit rock bottom and is working a recovery program in AA. Most of us, you know, we all live in this post, you know, lockdown world where many people started drinking with their neighbors, you know, having uh, cocktails in their yard while the kids played you know, did whatever they had to do to survive. And it's kind of like all the rules went out the window. And now we're kind of emerging from that with a culture that drinks everywhere. You know, you drink at playdates, you drink at the park, you drink at your kids' sporting events, you drink at dinner, you drink at parties, you drink at Bible study, book club. (laughs) Right, Uh, (laughs) right. Yes. And so I think that it's become this thing where you kind of, If you don't drink, you have to explain why you don't drink. You know, it's the only chemical, the only substance, the only mind altering chemical that you have to explain to somebody why you don't use it. You know, if I said, oh, well, I quit using cocaine. Nobody's going to say, well, why? Why? Right. Are you ever going to do cocaine again? (laughs) Well, I had no idea it was that bad. Like what (laughs) happened? You know, and so I think Sober Curious is just starting a dialogue about a different way of living and a different way of looking with alcohol at alcohol. And just, it doesn't have to mean you don't ever drink again or you give up alcohol completely, but it's more about arming yourself with information and making informed choices about when you do drink and you don't drink. And it's not just this unspoken given that everyone's going to drink at the party unless they're an alcoholic. So it's not all or nothing. It does not have to be all or nothing. Absolutely not. For me, I chose to give up alcohol completely, but I, I certainly don't think that's what everyone should do if they don't feel led to do that. Um, I think it's about just let's, let's be real with this. Let's not buy into an illusion. Let's examine it and then decide how we as individuals want to proceed and what kinds of choices lead us on a path that really aligns with our values and our, our purpose and being here. The, therefore in the, let's say the party crowd, let's say you're going to the Christmas party and the tray of cocktails are passed in the sobriety world, you would pass and say, no, thank you. I'm sober. And then everybody knows, they know you've been to a meeting. They know you have a sponsor, right? Yes, but, everyone knows they have a they have a file in their brain for that. Yes, right. So sober curious, people are going. Wait, is is Jane on a wagon or is she off a wagon? Yes. And why did she do this? Yes. 
So what are your, because you get asked that then. My point is we don't follow up with somebody who's sober unless we might say, oh, congratulations. How long have you been sober? We congratulate them. But sober curious, people all of a sudden feel condemned because they're like, well, maybe I should or shouldn't. How do you handle that pressure? That's an excellent point because I think when somebody says, oh, I'm sober, you write people it off. Think, you're, you're people done. think, oh, you're you're different than me. I don't fit into that category. Right. I don't have right. a problem with alcohol. Right. And if you're just choosing not to drink, then people are like, oh, well, what is she thinking about me? Or what what about what people, I'm doing? People feel judged immediately. People feel judged. Yes. 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 Even the small chatter I have on my podcast just saying, I've eliminated 95 for, I mean, and people listening will go, well, I haven't, I haven't seen you out of drink in a long time, but I might've, if I was at a something and there was champagne, I might've cleaned the glass and had a sip, right? Yeah. But it's funny how people now identify me. I was working at the gym and the girl came up, she goes, you don't drink anymore, do you? And I go, well, no, but I don't not drink either. I just, yes. I just like, haven't, I, it, it, my mind is selfish. It interrupts my sleep. Yeah. And it doesn't work for me anymore. It gives me a headache. I get congested. I mean, it's yes. old people problems for sure. You metabolize alcohol well, differently when you age. But yes, do you absolutely. see my point is all yes. of a sudden they group me as to, oh, you're one of them. You're one of those people who's like, different than us. Who am I? Right. Yes. That's it. You're I different. Mean, for me, I when I first stopped drinking, I had this kind of like epiphany moment. I wasn't planning to quit drinking The day before I quit drinking, it was not even a thing in my mind that I was going to quit drinking. I had an epiphany. I gave up alcohol and I didn't say anything to anyone for a while. And, you know, people really don't notice. Right. I think that week I went to like a neighborhood happy hour and I had a Topo Chico and lime and no one's like, oh, why aren't you drinking or what's going on? They just don't notice. Or you bring like your, you know, your little tumbler cup and nobody knows what's in it. And, and so it wasn't until I started being more open about it that people started kind of noticing and asking questions and wanting to know what that's about, because it does seem like such a radical thing to do. And it's not, it's really how before pandemic BP, it's how a lot, a lot of people don't, well, no, no, no. Let me back up. Before the sponsored science said we needed to have a glass of red wine every night. Yes. There was a time where people, I remember, just didn't drink or they might have had a margarita with a Mexican food. I mean. Yeah. Like but it once, wasn't once in a, a blue moon or something. It wasn't wine o'clock every day. Right. It was not a part of their regular no. rhythm in life. I re- or maybe I was just in a group of people that didn't consume alcohol every day and didn't really think about it. You might have a bottle of wine or something that you go, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll get yeah, that I'll open. Pull this out. And- <clears throat> yeah. And then maybe it's because my world and all my people went through menopause and we all thought, well, we need alcohol to help us get through the day. And really, yes. I, I've said this before on my podcast, people going through perimenopause, it doesn't help. It doesn't help with the heart palpitations. It, no. It really creates, sweats. yeah, it creates anxiety and some other things, but you don't know that because, and I understand that's why there's no judgment for me. You want relief. Absolutely. So, so absolutely. It, it, I wanted as, relief. That's you know? right. And the thing is, once I realized that the short-term relief was not worth the actually greater long-term suffering, that it clicked for me. 
Like, yes, maybe right this second, I'm going to feel good for about 30 minutes after I have this glass of wine, but then I'm not going to sleep that well. And if I have a second or third glass, I might regret what I said. I might not fully remember everything I said. And then it's like, well, now I'm really feeling anxious when I'm like waking up in the morning and, and reviewing all of these factors and then trying to tackle my day. Thinking, Yeah. And thinking too, what did I say yesterday? I regret what I say when I'm, and I'm sober and I forget (laughs) what I say when I'm sober. So alcohol really isn't uh, a a good addition to my life anymore. Um, So people then ask you, Jane, what was the impetus for this? What's your answer for the people who are sober curious that want to try it? What do we, how do they, how do they navigate the party? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. You know, I'll just kind of start and give you a little bit of a, a background. I'll tell you my story um, with alcohol. But, but wait a minute. It, is that being, am I prying by asking, am I doing the very thing that might offend no. you? No. Okay. I think that talking about things and being open is so freeing and it alleviates that sense of shame. When we hold things in and we guard this information, not that we need to go out and tell everyone everything, but it, it just reinforces to our brain that this is shameful information. And well, really, secrets, I think that, secrets are shameful. I mean, yeah, they, secrets they are get, shameful. Yeah, we, get, we categorize them as shame and then we don't share them. And secrets that you have, a lot of people have the same. It's just an they issue. Have these and same a lot of people ones. have them. Yes, we all have something that is difficult. And I think if we can be open and, and share our stories, we have the ability to create connections with others that we never, that never even occurred to us. Um, so no, I'm happy. I'm happy to okay. share if you would like to, yeah, if you'd like no, to hear. I'm nosy. So yes, Mrs. Kravis <laughs> yeah, wants to know on. all the details. Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay. So, um, so I grew up in a small town in North Texas. Um, child of the 80s and 90s. And so, you know, my first experience with alcohol was pretty early, young teenage years. Um, That's kind of what we did for fun in high school. We would drive out to someone's land and we would get our fake IDs and get some beer or somebody's older cousin would buy us some beer and we would drink and smoke cigarettes and have a good time. And then, you know, That seems like the worst time to me now, but I I, I know then I thought it sounds so painful. Um, but that's what we did. Um, so it kind of started with that, like teenage partying. Um, and then went off to college, went to Texas A&M, kind of continued that trend. And I would say my drinking looked pretty similar to other people in my friend group. Um, but I will say something that I experienced that I don't think every drinker experiences, but I do think that it's relatively common or more common than we talk about is blacking out. And so a blackout is not passing out. It's not going to sleep without meaning to. It is oh, that's what walking I always thought and talking. Oh. Yes. It's oh, walking, so talking, you're totally moving. lucid during a blackout. You are totally lucid during a blackout. Had no idea. But you don't recall any of it. Or sometimes people recall, recall bits and pieces. And so that Sometimes we refer to that as a brownout. Um, And so I can remember experiencing that, you know, as a teenager and then in college. And it's just like the most horrifying feeling to wake up and 
not remember how you got home. Yeah. And or wonder. worse, wake up yeah. not at home and yeah. not know where your keys or your purse or your phone is or, you know, it's, it's awful. And I think that that is relatively common among, you know, college age and, you know, people who party for lack of yeah. a better word. Yeah. So I experienced that and, and, um, off and on and, that was to me that's a red flag you know if that's happening like that the consequences just aren't worth the benefit but i will say that i really um enjoyed alcohol for a long time i love margaritas i love red wine yeah. i you know some of my best memories involved alcohol so i don't want to yeah. say it's evil and i hate it or anyone who does it is wrong like i don't believe that at all i that's a you know, good I was, point because that, I think, also is part of a sobriety movement of, um, it's. I mean, that's it. It and maybe is they do associate every time with their drinking that the outcome was very negative. But I'm yeah. with you. I actually like red wine and margaritas. I mean, I, yes. I really kind of miss them, but I just can't metabolize them anymore. So I'm doing some other, you know, they're the fake hooches you can buy. Yeah, I'm trying the adaptogens I, and right. So I think that's really neat, not nice for you to say. It's okay to you have permission to say I enjoyed going to the winery and tasting the wines with people, or traveling someplace, Absolutely. or having a a different type of margarita. I think that's okay. Yeah, or going that's to like good. a really nice restaurant and yeah. having one of their specialty cocktails, and then looking at the wine list. Like I really enjoyed yeah. that. That was a part yeah. of my life for a long time, and. You know, I can't say that I regret all of it. I think Good. that alcohol maybe served some purpose for me. You know, another piece of my story is that I struggled with shyness and social anxiety pretty much as long as I can remember. And so you thought that helped you or maybe it did oh, help it, you kind of it, come out of that shell. It, in the short term, it did. You know, it's like you have a drink or two and you don't really you don't care if people are perceiving you in a judgmental or critical way you know you're, you're able your to let friends, go and let loose did your friends notice that drinking jane was more open than non-drinking yeah. jane i think they did yeah mm -hmm. yeah absolutely you know i uh had a friend several years ago who you know we were laughing about like a dinner where i'd had too much to drink and she was like yeah i love drunk jane and i'm right. like oh gosh how did you feel about that you know it it kind of like hit me. I know she didn't mean it to be, she no. did not mean it in a negative no, or hurtful she didn't, way, no. but it made me feel ashamed. And yeah. then it made me think, what about sober Jane? You know? Well, and didn't it make you think, cause the thing with drinkers is I wasn't drunk. Yeah. And then, yeah. then you went, you probably questioned her in your mind thinking, well, I wasn't drunk, but yeah. drinkers don't realize. Yes, you yes. were. Yes. Yes, you are, or you were or are at that time. It's the people around you who can be more objective about yes. how much you've really consumed. Because we're not right. honest with ourselves. Right. I mean, the part ask, of our brain, the prefrontal that, cortex, yeah. is where we reason and use logic and problem solve. And the more alcohol we consume, alcohol is a central nervous system depressant. The more we consume, the more that prefrontal cortex goes offline. And our ability to have insight into our own behavior and decision making becomes impaired and our judgment becomes impaired. 
That, that's why you shouldn't drive. That's why, that's why you shouldn't drive. That's I why mean, you shouldn't uh, decide whether or not you want to like make out with someone or, <laughs> right? you know, like they yeah. find that women who black out tend to become victims of sexual assault. Yeah. Oh, and men who black sure. out tend to become violent. And so it's like very interesting that, you know, you think of like the aggressive man getting into a bar fight. That's kind of what happens when men are blacked out and women, you know, no longer are able to say no, say no, or, or even have, remember their values and make decisions that align right. with their sober self. Okay. So let's go back to that. I, the whole blackout thing, you've totally ripped the rug out from under me because I remember just having a, a cocktail or two and I'm telling you, and I say, you know, I can't remember things sober, but I really couldn't the next day. Yeah. And this was in the last five or 10 years that if we were in an event and I had two glasses of wine, I'd go, did I, I, I really couldn't recount what I'd said the day before. So yes. that's, is that more of a brownout? That would probably be more of a brownout. Um, what's happening basically is the hippocampus is a part of the brain that stores memory. And when our, I guess, alcohol level, our BAL gets to a certain level, which is different for everyone. There's no like official, oh, you get to this BAL and you black out. It's different for everyone. When it gets to a certain threshold, your ability to take short-term memories and put them into long-term memory be starts declining and becoming impaired. And so you'll notice this with somebody who you're having a conversation with someone, they seem maybe like they're a little bit intoxicated. If they are asking you the same questions, like you have a conversation, mm -hmm. you talk about something, mm -hmm. and then a few minutes later, they're like, now, what did you say that is? Or they may not even know that you had, they'd talked about it. They might ask you the same question and kind of have the same conversation over and over again. And it's because they can keep that information in their brain for a couple of minutes but it's not going into long-term memory. And so it's lost and they wake up the next morning and it's gone. Okay. That is actually blowing my mind because I'm telling you that I have experienced, I'm full disclosure. I mean, I have no secrets. Um, yeah. I've experienced that. And I'm, I, I have the genetics, even though I come from a long line of uh, addicts and alcoholics um, I can't handle alcohol. I, I'm a slow metabolizer. I do have the the genes that ha that show that I can't take Maybe drugs. Maybe you're predisposed yes, to, to anything. Yeah. Uh, so I'm saying if I did that, it was two glasses of wine. I don't overdo it. Yeah, you're but not like just, a two bottle of wine blacking no, out person. Oh, you're like, oh, oh no, 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 a couple no, glasses no. and your memory starts suffering. And totally. So that now that I think about it, that's probably another reason why. I don't like going down that path. I don't, but I'm not, I'm just now putting it together now. It's the connection yes. of, it doesn't have, I don't have good memories or memorable events, you know, pleasant memories from that event. Cause I'm going to, cause I do, you know, I'm not that I'm inappropriate, but I, you know, put my foot in my mouth a lot and, yes. you know, I've spent my, I've made a living saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Yeah. Um, but to see that it could happen so quickly is such a wake up call to me. Yes. Yeah, I know. It's, it's actually, it can be terrifying for people. Um, yeah, it's scary. So you're, so really after it to somebody, it could be two drinks that that's your, that it really could be that sends you over. 
that sends you over. There are certain factors that can make you more prone to having a blackout, like drinking quickly or drinking on an empty stomach, kind of the things that we know that lead yeah. to intoxication faster. Um, and it can vary for that person, you know, from week to week based on sleep and their health and what they've eaten and that sort Probably of thing. Probably cycles too for women Probably, who are cycling. Yeah, with, yeah, based on where you are hormonally in your cycle and yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, let's, let's define then drunk, inebriated. Mm-hmm. And let's, because yeah. that's where people say, well, I don't get drunk. I drink, but I don't get drunk. But it doesn't matter now. Now you can brown out or black out before your brain recognizes. Well, that's why that, people take the keys and get in a car. They think I'm fine. They think I'm fine. Like, so, so there's the, this debate around like, well, why would someone need to quit drinking? Why don't you just moderate? Why don't you just stop at one? And the thing is, is that, my brain that has no alcohol involved in it, it can decide, okay, I'm going to have one drink tonight. Well, then I have that one drink and that's a different brain that's deciding whether or not to have a second drink and maybe a third. And then maybe someone orders a round and then I have that one. And then before you know it, you wake up the next morning. I'm like, why did I do that? I was only going to have one drink and now I feel horrible. I have anxiety, another new term that I actually love. Okay, wait, what, spell that word then with, with an H? Uh-huh, like anxiety, but it's hangxiety. It's like, hangover. it's like the emotional hangover yes. from alcohol. That's good. Yeah. And so I've had clients who have given up alcohol just because they, um, it's, it's not good for their anxiety. You know, they quit drinking and they realize, oh my gosh, I don't, I don't need to take Prozac or Zoloft. Like I just eliminate alcohol and that's half the battle. And we reach for alcohol, like I said, when I was perimenopause, I reached for alcohol because of the heart palpitations and it, yes. it didn't help them. It did, they did not slow down. I needed a pellet in my butt, which I have now. Yeah, I, that, you needed you know, a hormonal I, I had, fix. I had to manipulate my hormones, but yes. I was thinking I had to manipulate my environment. Yes. And, you know, being hungover is really just a form of withdrawal. And part of the physiological response to alcohol withdrawal is increased heart rate. You know, if somebody went in for alcohol detox, they would be monitoring their vitals every 15 minutes for increased heart rate, increased increased blood pressure, you know, all those things. And so really, it's kind of like a mini withdrawal symptom the next day. Your your heart's racing. You know, you don't feel good. Maybe like night sweats, not sleeping well. Well, Um, gosh, there are a lot of things we can pass. We can go down. So... In the blood alcohol world, the uh, that you were talking about the blood alcohol level, I know before in in Arkansas, I think to drive a car it might be at point eight. Now I'm not good at math, yeah, so I, mean, I think it's point zero eight. Zero eight, zero eight. probably yeah. probably yeah, same. Not point eight, obviously. So point zero eight. Do those people? How much alcohol is that to get? If I got to 150 pound woman, got to point zero eight. You know that's. That's a good question. And it's hard because there's individual variability and it depends on what you've eaten that day as well. Food. Yeah. Food would probably have Uh a lot to do with that. But in general, if you have, I would say probably if you have more than one drink in like an hour to an hour and a half period, your blood alcohol is going to be over that. Okay. So it's quickly. You get there quickly. quickly. You could probably, let's say you went to like a three hour dinner and you had two glasses of wine with a big meal, maybe you would be under 0.08, but I mean, I don't know. It's hard to say. 
sustainability, regenerative farming, 10 generations of farmers. Well, who else would that be? It's the Ralston family in Atkins, Arkansas, and Ralston Family Farms. I've gotten to know them very well. They're now personal friends. And it's because I eat a lot of the rice. I eat a lot of the rice. I feed it to people who come to my home because I talk about my diet is based on beef, butter, bacon, and eggs. I have rice. I have local fruits in season. That's it. And you know what? It's complete. It's delicious. And I think everyone should do it. But let me tell you some other things about their website. One, I want you to go look at their brand Refresh. They have taken some things with their packaging. So when you go to Whole Foods or Fresh Market or your favorite grocery store, you might think, wait, does that look different? Yes, it does. Same product. And then also their website is where I go all the time for recipes. They always have an option for recipes because I know with like my grandkids are over, they love the cheese grits or I love the purple rice or blah, 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 blah. And there are six, six different rice varieties and there is a recipe or a thousand for each of those varieties. Check it all out online. Get to know the Ralston family. Know that you are shopping with a family who gives back to the community. They are delightful people. RalstonFamilyFarms.com. Why is the food at David's Burgers just better than any other burger place in Central Arkansas? Well, I can tell you, I've been a customer. I've been dining there for the 10 years they've been open, 10 locations now in Central Arkansas, and it's the beef. And their passion is beef. They only use grade A Chuck Choice beef. They purchase in large slabs. It's fresh, never frozen. They butcher the slabs themselves at the local commissary into steaks, like the ones that you can find there at the stores. Yeah, you can actually buy some of the beef now at David's Burgers, davidsburgers.com. And it's just really good food. Now, the potatoes that they use, they don't use any additives or things that the competition uses. It's just Idaho potatoes that they cut and they fry and they bring them to your table. In fact, you could eat your weight and fries and you can get free ice cream at the end. The customer service at David's Burgers, it's second to none. Nobody can do it like they do at David's. Remember, they're closed on Sunday so you can worship with your family. And this is a family uh, the David is the patriarch of the family, but the Bubba's family, they give to charitable organizations, especially when it deals with adoption and fostering because they are an adoptive family. Check them out online. We'd love to have you in Central Arkansas. Eat there. It's davidsburgers.com. Well, the reason I'm going to back you up on that one time, um, friends and I were cooking for something and the girl's husband is a DEA agent. And so we were having red wine. In fact, we were auditioning for a cooking show. We got it, but we, you know, it's a long story, but we didn't do it. But yeah. so we were, we had red wine and I was teaching them how to fry chicken. And I had like two glasses of wine and we have a rule in our house that, you know, there's no drinking and driving. So the DEA agent had a a breathometer or something. I can't remember. Maybe it was a breathometer. We did oh, something. Uh, um, yeah. A breathalyzer. Yeah. A breathalyzer. And it was funny that. But we had eaten heavy, high fat foods and I didn't register. And because he was like, I'm not going to let you get the keys of the car and leave my house because he's a federal agent. I mean, yeah, of course. And he was surprised. And he said, wow, because we may have had two and a half glasses, but we were there for hours. It was maybe a three or four hour period. 
But he said that shows you that food does blunt the effect and probably high fat foods. But yes. think about a lot of people go to events or go to the bar and sit there and nibble on a few things and they haven't eaten much. Yeah. Or so the women one will glass, be like, well, I, I'm watching my calories, so I'm not going to eat dinner because I know I'm going to be drinking later. And yeah. then, you know. Something. I see that all the time with women yeah. who are obsessed with their weight. See, I'm not obsessed with my weight because I'm an intermittent faster. You know, I fast okay. and yeah. that's that my life. Some freedom. And yeah. There's just so much freedom. Yeah. It, the, basically, if you have food in your stomach, it will slow the absorption. It will not prevent intoxication, but it will slow the absorption. So Gosh, to be drunk and full would be a terrible. <laughs> now, those yes. are senses that I don't ever want to experience don't again. I, I don't over, I mean, I try not, not typically don't overeat. Yeah. Um, then, so tell me your age um, at Texas A&M, 18 to 22. Mm -hmm. You probably had to get your master's. So you spent I did. So I, I, after A&M, I took a year off and worked. And then I went and got my master's in social work at the University of Texas at Austin. Um, had a great time partying there. And that's a big party city. <laughs> big party city. Well, there are lots of fun all, things to do. All college towns are. But I mean, Austin really is. Yes. It's a New Orleans of kind of the West. You know, it is. Food sure. is good. Good People live go music. for the alcohol. They walk, yeah, live music. They walk the streets, all that. Yes. So the culture is so inviting. My son went to LSU. The yes, Louisiana same. culture is so inviting about drinking and eating, and they're well, and very hospitable. You, it makes you feel like if I don't do this, then I'm, I'm rude. what am I going to do? Who's going <laughs> right. to want to hang out with me? Am I right. just going to be like no this one's, right? No one's going to want to kid over here by myself, and like I can't. I don't. Yeah, I don't think I would have considered not drinking back in those days. Uh, you know, I was twenty two, three, four. Um, there was no then, dialogue, though, Jane. There was no dialogue for that. At the time. There wasn't. There really wasn't. Um, and then after graduate school, I spent about a year uh, traveling. I went to Australia for the last semester of my graduate program and did an internship in South Australia in a city called Adelaide. And yeah. then I went to London for six months because they were recruiting social workers at that time and you could get a six-month work visa. And so, um, you know, I think that my drinking was probably pretty bad in Again. London. Another culture. I mean, the bars of Dublin to the, the drinking in London, pubs and, and everything. Yes. Yes. And, you know, it's hard moving to another country. And I didn't know a single soul. And then I met a few people. Um, but I think I, I ended up getting a little bit depressed just with mm -hmm. the dreary weather and the isolation. I was going to say, the lack of sunlight. Oh, Yes. And so then, you know, I drank to kind of get me through those times. And I think it probably just made things worse. Um, and so I guess long story short, I survived all those years, came to Dallas shortly after that, you know, probably 15 years ago, I moved to Dallas, met my husband a few years after that. And really the last decade of my life, I, you know, I've been having babies and raising kids and, um, you know, working on my career. And so it hasn't really been conducive to drinking the way I used to, but it, I would say I probably did still drink regularly. Um, I lost my mom to cancer. And so cancer's always been on my radar. And so in my mind, I was always like, well, if you drink more than seven drinks a week for women, then you're more likely to get cancer. And so I would try to whatever, you know, 
in whatever days it was, I would try to have no more than seven drinks a the week, threshold. which sounds like yep. a lot, but you know, that, that goes quick. Um, and then if there was something going on, sometimes I would, you know, if I had a couple of events that week or something, maybe I would have more than that. Um, and then I would say over, so I, I quit drinking a year ago today. So September of 2022. Okay. And I would say the year before that, um, I was going out more. My sister was here. She had moved back to Dallas from Seattle and we just were, you know, things were opening back up. We were more social. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I did have a, a couple of, uh, experiences where I drank more than I intended and I blacked out. And then I was horribly hungover the next day and, you know, and, and really couldn't be there for my kids that day. Um, and that was just so much shame, such a horrible feeling. Um, and so much cognitive dissonance, you know, like here I am a therapist working with my clients during the week. And then I'm so hungover. I can't get out of bed on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. It just didn't, yeah. it was incongruent and it was so uncomfortable. Um, and then another thing that happened is, so every Friday, my husband and my three kids, we would go have Mexican food. That was just kind of our tradition at a, a neighborhood restaurant. We would have a margarita and then we'd usually, my husband and I would split a second one. And then it kind of got to where we would just have two margaritas. And one night after dinner, I was putting my daughter to bed and she goes, mom, you smell like wine. And she's like six years old at the time, just innocently, mommy, you smell like wine. And I'm sitting there thinking, it's not wine, it's tequila, get it straight. But um, she- If you're going to point a finger, make sure you point a finger at the right spirit. Get it right. These were margaritas. Yeah. But but I, that just struck me as like, oh, I don't mm -hmm. want her to just think, oh, this is what mom smells like or this is what moms do and this is what I'm going to do. And so that hit home. Um, and then also I'd been working with my own therapist for a couple of years, just really looking at spiritual growth, kind of deconstructing and reconstructing how I practice my religion and my faith. Um, and looking at the big picture of like, what is my purpose? Why am I here? And so I'd really been going through kind of this growing phase in all aspects of my life. And the alcohol piece just, it was almost like I was bumping up against the glass ceiling. Like I couldn't mm -hmm. get any further in this like growth journey with alcohol there. And, and my therapist even said at one point, probably not long before I quit drinking, he's like, well, what do you think about just uh, not drinking for 30 days or 90 days? And I was like, no, no way. I don't want to do that. I was like, I like my wine and my margaritas too much. I don't want to mm -hmm. give up alcohol completely. Mm -hmm. There's got to be another way. And that, that was the end of that. Um, so it really wasn't on my radar to quit drinking. Um, and then I had this epiphany one morning. Um, and it's so hard to explain these things in words because it's one of those ineffable things that, that just doesn't, words just can't really describe it very well. But it, it was a Monday morning, the day before uh, we had taken my son and like 15 of his friends to play paintball for his birthday. And, you know, it was rowdy and it was loud and chaotic. And I remember afterwards, my nerves were just shot and I was like, oh, I need a glass of wine. And so I had like a glass and a half of wine, went to bed, woke up the next morning. I was not hungover. I was not steeped in guilt and shame, but it just, I woke up and there was 
clarity that is hard to describe that this is just the end of my drinking. Like I've gotten whatever benefit I'm going to get from drinking I've gotten. And now the cost is higher than the benefit and I'm done. Like the, the attachment to it was just kind of gone. And so I, I haven't drank since that day. That was, you know, a year ago, that was last September 26th. Mm. So it's, it, it was unexpected and unplanned, but it was just such a striking, unusual experience that I knew I was being called to do something differently with my life. And that if I was really going to live into the purpose that God put me here for, I needed to see what would happen if I eliminated alcohol. What could be possible? What potential was I missing out on because I was attached to drinking? What have you seen so, in 365 days of the new and improved Jane 2.0? Yeah, um, it's, it's been so much easier than I ever imagined. You know, I, every now and then I'll miss it, but that lasts for a second or two. Um, the relationships that I've built since that time have been unexpected and, and um, just like a deeper, more authentic connection with people. Um, so after I gave up alcohol, I started listening to different podcasts and I learned about the Sober, sober Curious Movement. I didn't know anything about it. Um, and I found a woman that, um, she had a podcast about kind of sober moms and how, and who is like, she? Do you remember? Her name is Suzanne. Oh gosh. It's the sober mom life. Okay. Sober mom life. Okay. We can the look sober that mom up life. we can put that in the show notes. Yeah. She's awesome. And she talks about how like we drink because motherhood is hard, but actually drinking makes motherhood harder. So, so I was following her. It's profound. Mm -hmm. It is so profound. And she had a guest on her podcast one day, a a woman in Boston who got sober a couple of years ago. And this woman was leading a retreat in Bali. And I thought, Ooh, I would love to go on that retreat. And then I thought, no, I mean, how am I going to leave my three kids? You know, at the time I had a nine, six and four year old, I can't leave my kids and go across the world and do that to my husband and leave my job and spend all that money. Um, So I put it out of my mind and then I saw another post about it. And I was like, what if I did, like, what could be possible if I did say yes and figure out a way to make it happen? You know, like, you know, we, we kind of limit ourselves like, oh, well, that's, that's what other people do, or I can't do that. Or that would be, people would ask too many questions and it would be embarrassing or, you know, stuff like that. But I'm like, no, what if I really did? So I mentioned it to my husband and, you know, at first he didn't, he was kind of skeptical. He's like, I don't know. And then the next morning he was like, you know, if you really want to go, if you think this is important to you, just go, you know, we'll, we'll make it work. And so I went and it was just, um, just such a healing experience. There were 12 women. We were from, uh, I was the only one from Texas. We were from all over the United States and we did yoga and we did mindfulness practices. And then we did all these kind of amazing Balinese cultural experiences. And I think there is something about being out of your environment your own culture, like feeling like you're just on this different planet. It's so different. You know, you're stripped of this construct that you carry around with you. And 
I think that is just such fertile ground for healing and self-exploration. You can really look at yourself and imagine change and realize that there are other possibilities and there are other ways of living life. Uh, so it led me to that retreat. And then I, I loved it so much that I thought the only way I'm going to get back here is if I lead a retreat myself. So I met this woman named Marie who runs this uh, company and she organizes the whole retreat experience. And then she has people who come lead these retreats from all over the world. And I was like, well, you know, I'm a therapist. I have a therapy practice. I can do this. And so, so that's kind of where it's led me right now is I am kind of expanding my role as a therapist to try to reach a broader audience, try to reach people outside of Texas and um, try to bring a group of women to Bali to have an experience similar to mine, whether they're sober or they're curious about sober, being sober and, you know, wanting to do personal growth and development and healing. Um, so it's just, I think that the people and the relationships and the opportunities that have opened up have been completely unexpected. Um, and just such a gift. Uh, when you, uh, put down that one and a half glass of wine that didn't really impede, it wasn't an impediment for you that night, but it was yeah. the final nail kind of in the coffin. Did you do like an alcoholic and then throw away all the wine in the house? Or did you just think this, it's not even a temptation. I just don't want to imbibe. I mean, I've got alcohol in my house right now. Like. My husband will have a drink. We have friends come over and have drinks. You know, we've had uh, my sister and brother-in-law actually live in Sydney, Australia, but they're, they've been with us for the last week and there's beer in the fridge. And it, if I do have a craving, it's never something that I'm like, well, I just won't drink today and I'll figure it out another time. And by the end of that day, I'm fine, you know? And I was talking to a friend and she's like, yeah, but I think about like, what about, you know, when I go to Italy and I want to have wine and I want to sit out on the terrace on the cafes and yeah. sip wine. And I'm like, Oh, I was like, Oh, do you have a plan, a trip to Italy planned? And she's like, well, no, <laughs> but what if she's like, but what if, and I'm like, right. well, then maybe you can have a drink then like you, you get to decide, like yeah. I don't have a trip to Italy planned right now, but you know, I don't know if I'm ever going to drink again. Maybe I will, you know, who knows? But I know that right now this is working for me and I'm curious about what path it's going to take me down. And I, I want to see what happens. And, and I, I feel so good. It's hard to think about bringing that back into my life. But if I get to Italy and I really want that glass of wine, well, I'll have it. Like, that's the beauty of being sober curious. I don't have to say I'm never going to drink again. I'm an alcoholic. If I drink, it's a relapse and I have to restart the clock. Like, I'm not counting days. I'm not marking each day off the calendar. Like I am grateful for this present moment and each day that I have. And I don't really know what's going to happen in the future. I just know I'm, I'm trying to do the next right thing and make the next decision that moves me towards my values, not away from them. Um, Ed, in Bali with that group of women, then at night, you just, everyone had a bottle of Topo Chico with salt around the rim. Yeah, or your glasses. We, like we we went and got massages, or we would take an excursion and go look at waterfalls and go hiking, or we went to the monkey forest, or you know we went to a fresh juice bar. 
you know, the interesting thing about Balinese culture is there's really, alcohol is not as big of a thing there. I don't know, I'm not really sure why. Um, I need to look into that. That would be interesting. But it's not ubiquitous like it is here in the United well, States it. or in Western we're, culture. We're so celebratory. You know, I, I'm thinking in not just Western culture, in 21st century culture, that yes. if you have a good day and you you accomplish something with your peers in a group of 20, 12 women who traveled around the globe to get there, we would say now, oh, let's have a, let's celebrate with a glass let's of wine. Let's have a drink. Yes. Right. So it's changing the narrative in our brain of let's sleep in or take a nap yes. or I mean something else that well, is indulgent. It's yes. not indulgent. And it's, 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 it's just life. Yes. It's like, if you need to drink to have fun, whatever you're doing or who you're with, maybe just isn't fun. It's like, let's create the life That's good. that we really want to be living. Let's say yeah. no to the things we don't want to do instead of begrudgingly saying yes and then dr having to drink to get through it because it's mind numbing or you're anxious or you don't feel like you fit in. You know, I think as women, we carry an invisible load to manage our families and responsibilities, and we don't feel like we can really take time to do what we want to do, but we can pour a drink and sip that while we make dinner or, or whatever. And that feels like one way to get relief. And so it makes total sense. I've done it so many times myself. But if we can kind of radically look at like, you know what, I've got one life here. Why not just figure out what it is that I really want to be doing with it and create the life that is meaningful and satisfying to me that doesn't require alcohol to tolerate it. Could the sober, so the sober curious movement is almost um, like it's uh, uh, approaching the group of people who are ambiguous in their drinking. They're, they don't drink too much. They don't drink too little, but what yes. about the person with full on alcoholism? You yeah. know, and of That's course, sometimes you do need a medical detox. So you, yes, you might have to talk absolutely. to a healthcare provider. But it, so, if whether at that point, do they still call it a sober curious approach? I think it's up to them. I think there are people who meet criteria for alcohol use disorder who prefer more of the sober curious approach than they do the AA approach. And I think okay. that's, I think it's about people finding what works for them. I get it. I think that um, detox, like withdrawing from alcohol can be fatal. And so yeah. if the person is drinking regularly and experiencing withdrawal symptoms, definitely want to have a medical detox, see a physician, you know, consider inpatient treatment to get detoxed, you know, and that takes right. maybe three to five days and then mm -hmm. figure out what path is best for you. Um, I, I worked with a coworker once who uh, tried to quit drinking because we were in a public environment of being on the radio and Plum had a seizure. Yeah. Um, that yes. was a day and a half with no alcohol and the DTs were so serious and he was, I mean, he was put in hospital. I mean, it, you, yes. you do jeopardize your life. It's, it is a very serious physical, not just physiological, it's a very phys serious physical 
condition. And so we don't, yes. I do not want to look at that lightly for people. No. Because somebody no. listening could be in that group and you do need yes. to have. If you uh, drink me- daily, yeah. a medical detox is the safest and the least way of suffering, the most humane, compassionate it way. Is. It is, for like sure. Nobody needs to suffer or deserves to suffer like that. Yeah, it is for sure. You know, you were mentioning earlier about women uh, or uh, you were talking about people in cancer. Actually, Jane, I, I, and you may not have seen the science, but there's even new science that um, women, especially because I do take bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, it is because of the different pathways we now know. So you have <clears throat> estrogen, you have estradiol, estrone. And the estrone pathway is how I think, I believe it said the alcohol is metabolized. And that is the one that causes the cancer. Yes. Women who drink and take even bioidentical hormone pl- replacement therapy, not a good idea. I mean, yeah, drinking is really, a, it should have the skull and crossbones on, you know, the margarita glass that they give you, not just the yes. the bottle of tequila. I mean, it's a, we should look at it really the same way we look at cigarettes, um, too much radiation, things that we know are obvious risks for cancer. Alcohol is one of them. This is the most baffling thing to me is why aren't we talking about this? Yeah. No one, that's what I'm saying. No one's talking about that. It's a classified one carcinogen. Yeah. Same as tobacco, radiation, asbestos. Right. As little as seven to 10 drinks per week increases the risk of breast cancer by 15% because it increases the amount of estrogen in your body. That's it. And that, and that must so, be the estrone pathway yes. that is how it is metabolized. And that is, n- I know in just doing hormone testing with women, that's the one you don't want. Right. And so we're not talking about women who um, have alcohol use disorder. We're talking about Low to moderate consumption of alcohol. Daily drinkers. Increases your risk of alcohol. Or even weekend drinkers who have, let's say they have, you know, a drink on Thursday night and then they have two drinks on Friday and then they have three drinks on Saturday. Whatever combination, it increases your risk of breast cancer. And to me, that's just terrifying that we're not talking about that as a culture and as a society. And that's, you know, that's part of my mission is I want to increase the dialogue around that and, you know, empower women to make choices, informed choices about their health and their well-being. Uh, This is an eye-opening episode. I think so many people can identify with every word you uttered. Um, We'll put the link um, or any information in the show notes about your next trip, your next sober curious trip and um, any Um, information on how to reach out to you because I guess uh, because of state lines, do you, can you see people in other states? So I could not provide therapy to people in other states, but I could do um, some coaching and consultation. It just would not be, it wouldn't be mental health treatment, but it it could be more coaching. It's not treating a diagnosis, but more Um, helping people with setting goals and and coming up with a path that works for them. And then, of course, um, the Bali retreat is open to women anywhere in the world. Um, And then I have a group on Facebook, a free group called Sobriety Simplified. And it's just a place for women to join. And, you know, they can post anonymously if they want to. 
they can share their story, they can ask questions, they can support each other. Um, so yeah, like my mission is just to reach more women who might have a similar experience with alcohol as I've had and, and uh, just support them along the way. I love your message. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank thanks, you. Thanks for doing this interview today. Great job. Yes, it's, it's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Lisa Fisher Said Podcast. Be sure to hit subscribe and download all the episodes and leave a review, won't you? The Lisa Fisher Said Podcast is produced by ClantonCreative.com.